I've been in the trenches since 1999, so I see everybody getting excited, saying, oh, we're getting out there, we're getting out there. We go through spurts where it's big for a while, and then people forget about us. Yeah. We make a money, then leave. We don't got no time for new friends. Yeah. We make a money, then leave. Hi, and welcome to the Best Kept Secret in Sports, a serialized podcast about the Seattle Majestics 2020 season in the Women's National Football Conference. I'm your host, Becca Fernandez, and this is Episode 1, Rebuilding the Majestics. Women's football has a history unlike any other. Despite dating back to the Toledo Troopers in the 1970s, the foundation of the sport is still very much in progress. Now, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of pioneers, and the pioneers of our sport range from Seattle's hometown hero and 11-year veteran Team USA member Adrian Wilson to San Francisco 49ers coach Katie Sowers from Kansas City. Women's football has been built on decades of highs and lows, from grass fields under vehicle headlights to goosebumps on your neck from taking snaps in NFL stadiums. The sport has seen flashes of greatness, but it's often dimmed by mismanaged leagues, unsustainable teams, and a serious lack of funding. And in case you didn't know, or in case you thought any different, none of these athletes are getting paid to play. In fact, most of them are paying to play. However, for the first time in the sports history, that seems to be changing. Every year, players' fees are a hot topic. Teams try new ways to alleviate the financial burden on players, but it's always there, lingering close by like the boogeyman who could stop your season at a moment's notice. And also every year, there's always a group of people newcomers to the sport who shock the world with some big press release throwing out some big number like a million dollar contract and yet every year it's a complete letdown. So that's why this is such a monumental announcement. Majestics have secured a team sponsor to cover all players fees for the 2020 season. Now you might be thinking how in the world are the Majestics in a rebuilding year when they're also getting rid of players fees? How do you get rid of players' fees if you don't have any players for revenue? So we'll talk about how they did it later. What makes today's announcement even more interesting is that just last week, the Seattle Majestics faced a mass exodus of players leaving the Majestics to join the Oregon Ravens. So we're going to get into more of that later. But for now, let's start with a history lesson with my buddy Neil. I am... Uh, I've been following uh, women's football since since 2013, and locally I work in the uh, front office uh, with the DC Divas uh, women's football team out here. More broadly, uh, for the sport as a whole, I, I sort of serve as a, uh, a historian of the sport and uh, wrote a book in 2016 called The Women's Football Encyclopedia, which I think is, is if I do say so, uh, probably the foremost resource uh, in terms of documenting the history of our sport, where it's been, and hopefully giving uh, people a good idea of, of where it's been will we'll, uh, provide a good platform to, to build the sport going forward. For this episode, I talked to Neil about the upcoming year in women's football. You'll be hearing more from him throughout this season, but today we're going to stay focused on the Seattle Majestics. First thing I'd like to say is I have tremendous respect for the Seattle Majestics. I think the Seattle Majestics are one of the real historic franchises in our sport. I think, you know, as somebody who, uh, again, studies the history of women's football, I can say that, uh, 
you know, the DC Divas, a team that I work for, uh, has more wins than any team in the history of the sport. They've won 139 games uh, in their history. Uh, the the team that ranks second among active teams and most wins in their history is the Seattle Majestics. They've won 125 games uh, uh, in their history, which is third all time, actually, behind the Divas and uh, the New York Sharks, who, who sadly are no longer with us. Um, so, you know, the, the Seattle Majestics have a tremendous history uh, in the region and have uh, have certainly won a lot of games there. Um, I think it is – it's been a little disappointing when you look at the history of, of, of women's football in the Pacific Northwest that not only is Seattle one of the all – Seattle Majestics one of the all-time great franchises dating back to their roots, obviously, in Tacoma. But also their rivalry with the uh, Portland – first shockwave and then fighting shockwave is a really, really strong one. And I think, you know, a Seattle Portland rivalry, I think is really good for the sport. And uh, that's kind of been missing the past couple of years. So you heard it here from the historian himself. The Pacific Northwest has a long history in women's football, especially the Seattle Majestics, including a marquee rivalry with our neighbors in Portland. But the region has ultimately suffered from many transitions at the team and league level over the years. That has led to a fragmentation of talent across the region. And while this isn't uncommon in women's football, it does make it difficult to build the sport. While the Seattle Majestics may already have a spot in women's football history, it's not the spot they want. They want the national championship. And at the very least, the Northwest itself wants to see someone bring one home. At this point, you might be wondering why. Why do women's football players do it? Why do they pay upwards of $1,000 per season before travel expenses just to suit up and take hits like their NFL brothers on Sunday without any of the glory or fame? That's a complicated question, but let me start by introducing you to Cindy Butts-Houghton. It was her voice you heard at the beginning of the show, and you'll be hearing a lot more of it as we go on this season. She holds a ridiculous number of job titles for the Majestics, starting with CEO. She's also a former player and former general manager. You might also know her as the co-host on our other podcast, My Gay Life. The Best Kept Secret in Sports is kind of a spinoff from the first episode of My Gay Life. I know, it's confusing. Anyway, if you haven't listened to the first season of My Gay Life, you can go back and do that now. Go ahead. We can wait right here. Or you can finish this one first. It's up to you. I'm probably not your boss. Okay, so back to Butsy. You know, it doesn't matter the sacrifice that you make for your job or for your money or for your relationships. You are so happy to just have the privilege and honor of playing football. And I think that's a message that is so important in women's football that people miss is that we just do it because we love it so much. And she's not kidding. Instead of a Lombardi trophy at the end of the season and a trip to Disney World, there's a story from a decade ago about how Jen Welter once won $12 after a national championship. But for the first time in women's football history, a shift is occurring. And it started with the first season of the Women's National Football Conference, a.k.a. the WNFC, in 2019. And it seems to be continuing into their second season this year. The WNFC was founded by Odessa Jenkins to raise the bar for women's football, a much-needed change for the sport. They count Rydell and Adidas as league-level sponsors, and they are far and away the most competitive league this side of the Mississippi. And there have been wins. The level of play is high. The professionalism is there. There's nice gear and other perks from the league level sponsors. The live streaming and scoring updates are better and faster than ever. The executives on the team seem happier than they have been in years. And it would appear that the WNFC has its stuff together. I would argue it's most teams dream league, especially compared to the past. 
There are some iffy parts, too. There's kind of a questionable TV deal with U2 America, which is a fundamental Christian evangelical organization that I personally am not crazy about, but more exposure for the sport is more exposure for the sport. Ultimately, you can tell that this is much more than just football to Odessa and her team, and the sport has benefited from such a strong business leader at the helm over the last year. So why all the unrest in the Northwest? The Majestics finished third in the conference last season, ending at 4-1-1, their only loss coming from their season opener against the LA Bobcats. The shocking part wasn't necessarily their record, but the Majestics only put up 91 points last year compared to the 138 they put up in 2018. And like you heard from Neil, despite the lack of a championship in the Northwest, the Seattle Majestics have long been known as the premier women's football program. They dominated most of the region from 2007 to 2018, and they're anxious to get back on top but they're also facing their biggest rebuilding year ever. And it's in part due to the mass off-season exodus of players who signed with one of the league's new expansion teams, the Oregon Ravens, just days before the announcement about the elimination of players' fees. Yeah, I mean, the 2020 season is not starting the way we thought it would as far as player personnel. Uh, We're losing a lot of good vets, and some of them are just, they're getting older and their bodies have taken a beating and it's time for them to retire, and, and that happens. But some people um, have been around for a couple of years and they don't necessarily like the coaching scheme or they don't like the way we run the team. And, and that's fine. Everybody has a right to say what they like and don't like, and, and they have the right to move on to another team if they want. And, you know, that's the thing. It's not like we're paying these players. They're not under contract to stay with us. They can do whatever they want. And I just feel like this was a mass movement out of the Majestics this year for some reason for a bunch of people. One of the reasons for the exodus was due to players feeling like they weren't learning from coaches like they wanted to. You have to keep in mind, all of these women have other full-time jobs, right? So when they're not at football, they're at their 9 to 5 or their overnight roles at Boeing or they're building literally Seattle skyscrapers downtown. So when you come to football practice, you want to learn about football and you want to take advantage of the small bit of time that you have to learn as much as you can. And some players reasonably felt that they weren't getting the kind of hands-on coaching that they wanted. So the Majestics staff took that feedback into the offseason and did some soul searching. The hard part is, especially for head coaches, you have the the guys who have coached high school football and the girls who have played women's football and are now coaching. And it's very different communication styles. It's very different skill sets. The, the male coaches want the players to be at a higher level than they really are. So sometimes they talk over their heads. So the, f- the female coaches come in and kind of translate a little bit. But to be able to get the coaches to come down has been a struggle. And I think this is the first year where we've been able to sit in a coaches meeting and have them say, you guys were right. We need to bring it down to the basics a little bit more. And this is what we need to do. There are a lot of open questions for the Majestics coaching staff to figure out this preseason. The biggest one might be who's taking snaps at quarterback. This time last year, that spot belonged to Tamara Crow, a former college athlete and promising young quarterback that many saw as the future of the Seattle franchise. Unfortunately, in the first game of the season last year, Tamara suffered a career-ending leg injury and has since joined the Air Force, retiring from football. With Tam out, Rachel Woods ended up taking most of the snaps for the team, but she's back in retirement too. In terms of Northwest talent, there's only a couple others on the map. And supposedly the best one is moving across the country to play in a different league. 
Recruiting new players is always tough, but what about when you need to find the lifeblood of your offense? The team doesn't just need someone who can throw the ball. They need a field general who can galvanize the team and build chemistry, and they need to find that person quickly. What the football community doesn't know at this time of recording this, and what might make it a little easier to find that woman, is that the Majestics are about to make a couple huge announcements to kick off their preseason. Just got this information coming into my inbox. The Majestics kick off their preseason with not one, but two announcements. The first one, 2019 Coach of the Year, Scott McCarron, has stepped down as head coach, but will remain offensive coordinator. Additionally, the Majestics have secured a team sponsor to cover all players' fees for the 2020 season. Obviously, we have some things to discuss here, and I, for one, am very curious to hear how this cookie is going to crumble. These two announcements coupled together send a shockwave through the Northwest. On top of Scott stepping down from head coach, the team just dropped the mic on the rest of the league by announcing that they have eliminated players' fees. But as you already know, no good deed goes unpunished. Before Seattle could finalize the deal and make the announcement public, the mass exodus had already begun. The team leadership discussed letting players know that this was in progress, but it was too risky until the ink was dry. The players at left signed to the Oregon Ravens just a week before the announcement was finalized. And that includes the 2019 and that includes the 2019 WNFC Defensive Player of the Year, which is a huge loss for the Majestics. So, how did they do it? How did the Majestics get here? How did they come about a season with no players fees? Well, the week between the Oregon Ravens signing party and the Majestics announcements, butts came by the studio. This Saturday, <clears throat> That's what you meant, right? With the big announcement? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so this Saturday, the Seattle Majestics will be the first women's football team to announce that the players will not have to pay players' fees, which is a big deal because, as you know, players' fees can range anywhere from like $500 to $950 for the season. And it's always a payment plan and the players are struggling to make the payments. And then if they don't pay, they can't play. And it's, it's a big deal. We're not covering, covering travel yet. We're still, we still have some sponsorships. So with any money that we bring in now, we'll go towards travel. So we'll still sell season tickets. It just won't go towards a player's fee. It'll go towards the team travel. So we'll just have one big bucket that any sponsorships that come in now will go into that. And as far as travel goes this year, we can drive to Oregon. We are going to Vegas, which is never very expensive. And then San Diego, which can be expensive, um, but we have time. Like many women in sports, Butsy wears a lot of hats. She's the CEO, assistant head coach, special teams coach, running back coach, and linebacker coach. She's also part of the board, alongside former head coach Scott McCarron and CTO Matt Lord. The problem with women's football is that these teams take a lot of resources to run, but they don't often have enough people running them. So the consolidation of power ends up with a few people who are willing to deal with the ups and downs of the sport over a long period of time. And frankly, that's not very many people. Unfortunately, this power imbalance and consolidation of power amongst leadership tends to cause attrition on the player side because often that leadership group are the same people as the coaches on the field. It ends up sort of being a lose-lose, and it ends up being a lose-lose situation. Because you have a group of people who are the coaches and board who end up getting burned out, honestly, um, between dealing with just the ongoings of women's football as well as coaching the team. And then you have players who feel like if they want to speak up about the leadership of the team, it's going to impact their playing time on the field. 
and or if they're having an issue with a coach on the field, they don't really feel like they have anyone to go to beyond that. Reasonably, this kind of causes issues both ways. In the past, and some other teams will put more onus of the ownership pieces onto the players. However, that too can wear players down and burn them out. So when you're already beating up your body playing the sport, paying money to play the sport, and now you're being asked to help run the team, it's a lot for people. And the board believes that the crux of what's caused the exodus is trapped in this power dynamic so paradox. And we've been coaches together and we've been running the Seattle Majestics as the board and the officers of the organization for probably six or seven years now, if not more. And our goal from the beginning when we kind of took over the team was to have a point where women can just come play football and not worry about money. The Majestics tried the sponsorship route for years with little success. Big corporations don't want to take a chance on women's football because they don't see the ROI. The little local companies might give you a couple hundred, maybe a thousand, but it's really hard to scale. And these teams take at least 60 grand to run each season. So the Majestics got created the and they tried a different route. three of us are part of a private equity group called Jalousy Bay Investments. And that equity group under it has about 12 LLCs. Matt has an LLC. Scott has one. I have one. And then there's about eight or nine other people that have their own. So Jalousy Bay, the investment company, buys property all over North and South America, and they rent them out as multifamily units or vacation rentals. They own a few in the States, but mostly international. They buy them up, fix them out, and then rent them. They're even looking at one up in Everett. So we decided, as an investment group, how can we find a way to make money, not just for ourselves as investors, but also to help the Majestics? The Majestics have always been on the table for us to try to find a way to help them. And we found a way. And it was pizza. Specifically, they bought four round table pizza places, a small Pacific Northwest pizza chain, and they were able to close the deal on one of the places fast enough to be able to look at the numbers and say the round table pizza can officially sponsor the Seattle Majestics for the season of 2020 and pay all players fees. Also, none of this is illegal or even shady. It's creative and no one's done it before. And it is. It's hard to replicate, but it's not impossible. So... I think it's the start of something bigger for the sport. And I think there are some teams that may try to replicate it. And I think there are other teams that might be inspired by it. And that seems to be the one thing everyone can agree on. However, that's another reason why the exodus happened. Part of the turmoil with the players in 2019 is that they felt they weren't getting a level of transparency that they wanted from the board. Even if you're a rookie or you've been playing for 20 years, this can be frustrating, especially when you're paying players fees. However, for the board, this was always the plan. Not the lack of transparency, of course, but the investment strategy. Yeah. Unfortunately, this led to confusion and misinformation being spread about it, and that led other people to think that it wasn't legal or was somehow below board. It's going to add some fire. We've had, we have some doubters that have walked away. We've had, we have doubters that just are done, and that's fine. If you feel like you've, you've run your course with our team, you know, I wish you all well. But this is when we start getting things done and taking this sport seriously. So it seems like Seattle's leadership's vision is starting to pay off. The question is, will it matter? And is it enough? The clock is ticking. The Majestics start practices in a week and their first game is in less than 70 days. Now they have a new head coach at the helm, but the same offensive coordinator. So will that be enough to bring anyone back? And will they be able to feel the full roster, find a quarterback and take full advantage of this monumental off the field news? And for the broader region, is it possible for someone to bring a national championship to the Northwest or even just to the Pacific Conference? What will it take for the Seattle Majestics 
or the Oregon Ravens to compete outside of the region. And does it even matter? We know Utah's anxious to avenge their national championship loss from last season. And there's also San Diego. And the Rebellion are dying to put themselves back on the map. All I know is it's going to be a fun season. So subscribe to the Best Kept Secret in Sports wherever you listen to podcasts and stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening. The Best Kept Secret in Sports, a women's football podcast, is hosted by Rebecca Fernandez and produced by Bits and Bytes Productions. Special thanks to the people who helped me make this episode. You can subscribe to The Best Kept Secret in Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. The theme song for our show is New Friends by Yes Please. If you like the music in this episode, check them out on Spotify or wherever you listen to music. And, I don't know, find us on social media or something. At least follow the Majestics. Episode 2 is coming soon, the preseason has begun, and the Majestics are getting ready to face the San Diego Rebellion in their season opener. 